Good morning. Am I working? Can you hear me? Hopefully it's uh, picking up there. Uh, so glad to see all of you here this morning. I know the crowd is a little thinner, and there's uh, some dear family members that are homesick today. But I thank so much uh, for each one of you who is here. And that's what God's plan is, because God plans everything ahead of time anyway. His perfect will is a perfect will. Today, we're going to be talking about being lights in the world. And that means you and you and you and you and me being lights. And we're going to be looking in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. But before we do that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, so much that you loved us so much that uh, just as in this song we just sang, Lord, we can truly say Christ is mine forevermore. Not because of what we have done, what, how we have earned him, what we have done to deserve him, because it's a free gift from you. We thank you for that great gift, Lord. And we pray, Father, that uh, through the lesson, uh, through the message today, you'll help us also to understand better how we can help others around us to be that message too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, sit down. Um, it's the 4th of July Sunday. It actually is the 4th of July. Um, I thought it was cute. Uh, Miss Mary was talking about this beautiful uh, blouse she had on today that was really patriotic and everything. And I think she said she'd had it about 10 years and Sunday never wound up on the 4th of July. So she never could wear it. And today she gets to. Um, we thank God for allowing us to live in a country where we can actually join together today and worship. There are many places in this world where that's not the case. Today there are Christians in many nations around the world being told what to believe, pressured to be silent about the Savior they do believe in, and some are actually killed because of their faith. The church at Philippi actually had begun about 10 years, they think, before this letter came from Paul to them. And it was actually started up during Paul's second missionary journey. It was also the first church to be established in Europe. The Roman government did not like the idea of people having a God that distracted them from their full allegiance to Rome, its leaders, and its own gods. Satan also worked through the people living in cities where churches were being established to attack anyone who spoke of a different religion. So unlike most of us here this morning, Paul and the Christians he wrote to in Philippi were probably very familiar with these practices. In fact, Paul himself shared in Corinthians as well as Philippians statements about the imprisonments, the beatings, and the whippings he had experienced while being faithful to the gospel. 
even though the Philippians were facing evil forces, you know, around them in the outside world, there was another concern. They also faced challenges from within. Isn't that strange to think a, a church could have dangers within the very church they attended? Paul wrote this letter to Philippi to encourage the believers there and remind them of the hope they had in Christ. Just as Jesus shined a bright light for the whole world to see, these brothers and sisters were being called to be lights for their community as well. I want to look again, as I mentioned earlier, in Philippians. We'll be in the second chapter of Philippians, verses 12 through 18, and we'll see a message Paul was sending them and see if it relates to our lives today. If you're looking in the pew rack there in the Bible, it's on page 981. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, in verse 12 we start off with, and right away it says a word that's actually referring to something before. It says, therefore. And I thought about, well, maybe I should just go ahead and include all those verses in front of it, but then it would take even longer to get through here, and I know y'all would like to get out by lunchtime, so therefore is actually pointing to what Paul had just said in verses 5 through 11. And a lot of people call those verses the hymn of Christ, H-Y-M-N, like the song or the hymn of Christ, because it talks about how Jesus was sent by God and Jesus gave up his godliness to be a human, to be a person on this earth. And he, he gave up all his power so that he could be a servant. And he served to the point of dying so that God could be honored and, and our sins could be covered. And then God honored and glorified Jesus because of his faithfulness. But let me just read verse 8 out of chapter 2. That was in the previous verse. And being found in human form, he, being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus obeyed the Father's will and served him totally with no reservation. Having reminded them of this, Paul then continues, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my presence, work out your own salvation. Well, the first part, it says, he talks about that you've always obeyed. The believers in Philippi had been a special place in Paul's heart. They had a special place, excuse me. And he had really good memories of their faithfulness back when he was there with them. And so he looked back on that uh, and he was saying, you know, just as you have in the past done so, now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. It's great that they were good while he was there, but now Paul was asking them to be faithful in his absence. And he says something important here that I think a lot of people get hung up on in the Bible. He said, work out your own salvation. These five words have caused many disagreements between believers over the actual meaning of this statement. Some promote the, you must earn your salvation mindset, claiming Paul was telling the individual Christians in Philippi they must individually work hard in order to earn their spot in heaven. However, the context of this verse appears to indicate Paul was not only addressing the whole family of believers, he was talking about the church in Philippi, but he wanted them to grow together in their status of being saved. To grow in your status of being saved. How, how do you do that? I mean, you're just, you're saved or you're not saved, right? But he was wanting them to grow in their salvation. In other scriptures, he consistently emphasized once a person has been saved by the grace of God, that person will never lose their salvation. So there was that you know, encouragement. An example is in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, where he writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I know I've hung on to that real tight sometimes in my life when I have felt like maybe I wasn't too saved. But I'm so glad that God says we can be faithful, we can trust when we place our faith in Christ. We are saved. So in, in looking at salvation, I believe what it's trying to tell us here is that we are looking at three types of salvation or three stages of salvation. On one side of our lifeline, even before we were ever even born, before the world, the, the whole heavens were created, God saved us. And at some point in our human life, we had that salvation experience, so we are saved. And praise the Lord for that. That was in accordance with God's will. So in the beginning, we're saved. But then on the other end, which this is where the main reason I wanted to be saved when I first started was I just don't want to go to hell, you know. 
So we are saved in eternity. Eternal salvation. That's, that's great. But there's a middle salvation. We are saved. We're going to be saved. But right now we need to be living salvation in our lives. That other people around us will say, you know, that person is different. Now, of course, people looking at me growing up, they say they always said I was different, but it wasn't necessarily because of my witness. But um, it's so important that they are able to see something different in us. And that's that salvation growing in us and expanding in us. Again, referring back to that hymn of Christ that was in verses 5 through 11, Paul described how Jesus himself gave us the perfect picture of this servant leadership, setting examples in his life on earth for us to follow once he rose into heaven to be joined with the Father. So like Christ, we are to serve God and serve others out of love and obedience. And we are to do this, another tricky phrase here, with fear and trembling. Again, in verse 12, it says that they are to do these things with fear and trembling. This is another phrase, uh, another example of people drawing lines in the sand and saying, you know, you believe this and you're wrong, or you believe this and you're right. But, you know, some people look at this and they want to say, oh no, I'm not doing a very good job of being humble and loving my neighbor today. Is God still going to save me? I probably have had those moments myself where I am not doing too well as a godly person. And I wonder, well, am I really saved or not? But yet we see in Paul, who was a pretty great example we were given also, Paul himself lived with fear and trembling. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 2 and 3, he states, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul was not basing his works on his own efforts, but depending on Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, pointing all honor to God. J.A. Modier, uh, in his commentary on the best message of Philippians, writes, This is not the fear of a lost sinner before the Holy One, but the fear of a true child before the most loving of all fathers, not a fear of what he might do to us, but of the hurt we might do to him. Our God cares for us. He cares for you even more than we sometimes care for ourselves. In verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you. Now, he just 
told us to work out our salvation. But now he's, he's saying, but it's God who works in you. It is God's power that is accomplishing great work in us and through us. We cannot do this on our own. He is calling on us to be busy about doing his will, but not on our own strength or wisdom. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31, Luke documented the following. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So they were in the fear of the Lord, but they were being built up because they got out of the way and let God do the work through them. Solomon also wrote in Psalms 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So, as a Christian, I want to do the will of God. I want to do the work to express my salvation to others around me but I can't do it on my own. I've got to allow God to do it. It's, it's, it's just the way it is. So if we want God to work in you, we want him to do it both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If we faithfully seek God's will in a situation, you know, through constant prayer, he can show us what we are called to do. And if he does, we know he'll accomplish it because it pleases him. Now, how many of you in here have ever prayed that God will work out a situation and you knew exactly how it needed to turn out, but it didn't turn out that way? But God answered your prayer. And, and you're, well, you know, God... Why, why did you do it that way? I was, more, I was kind of thinking about this way, and, and it included us getting a new home and nice cars and, and lots of income and, and rich friends. And, but God's will, when it's done, his plans please him. The God who saved us when we were unsavable is pleased when we let him work through us. There may be, like I said, a situation where it seems God's will is not even going to be revealed to us if we're waiting and we're waiting. And perhaps it's just not the time yet. <clears throat> if we are waiting, finding ways to love and serve others helps us not to only grow in our faith, but hopefully will encourage those around us too. You know, if you're sitting here this morning and, and, you know, you open up to them and you say, gosh, I've been praying about this and praying about this and God just doesn't seem to be saying anything yet. And the other person, yeah, yeah, you know, I've been struggling with some answers too, but I figure while I'm here, I might as well serve. And sometimes it's as we agree to serve God anyway when we don't seem to be getting the perfect answers we want, God is working in us. And he will sometimes provide exactly the answer we were looking for, 
and it's just one of those things that kind of like pops, <laughs> pops your side of the face and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's, that's a good answer. Um, but it's also important to say, to remember that sometimes people sit around twiddling their thumbs and say, well, I'm just waiting on God to speak. Maybe sometimes his problem is that he's not listening. 14, verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. But first it says, do all things. God's intention for our lives is to be totally focused on him in everything we do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul writes, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do most of the stuff or some of your stuff to the glory of God? No. It says do all to the glory of God. So he's saying do all things. Is that way we wake up in the morning? Especially on a Monday morning. It's been a long weekend. Now this Monday, coming Monday, is still a holiday. So maybe that won't count. But uh, you get up in the morning, on Monday morning, and you're ready to go to work. You've got to do this, got to do that. Do we think about what are the things we're going to do for Lord, the Lord today? How are we going to serve him well at work or at play or whatever we do? And it says, without grumbling or questioning. Some members of the church family in Philippi may have been complaining because of the way Christians were being treated by non-Christians in their community. Remember, we talked earlier about with the Roman government and the, the communities around them, they had their own system. They liked having their gods, and they liked having all the you know, attention drawn toward the leader of the Roman government, the Caesar. So it's very possible that the, the people at Philippi were already suffering because of that. So there may have been some grumbling or complaining about that. And believe it or not, they may have also been griping about the church leadership and the ways they were guiding the church. Now, I know Landon and I as elders, we I can't picture that ever being an issue somewhere, but you know, that a church would be concerned about or talking about their leaders, but uh, <laughs> I promise you, uh, leaders, if they are trusting in Christ, they are not thinking, oh, I've got this. Now if I just get these people to stop griping and complaining. They need your help. Any who's in a leadership position, especially as a Christian, needs the help, the support of other Christians. Because, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I can almost promise you that the more you put God first in your life, the more Satan will attack you. The more you will struggle. Paul was encouraging them to work together and resist these temptations. G. Walter Hansen in the Pillar New Testament commentary of the letter to the Philippians writes, 
when Christian conversation, this is Christian conversation, is laced with complaints and personal attacks, Christians have lost their distinctive quality as the children of God in a world characterized by that same kind of negative tone. So let's make it our intention day by day to fight against those negative comments and thoughts and focus on Jesus. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Blameless, you know, refers to what others might be thinking about you or saying about you. That's hard to do sometimes because you can actually, believe it or not, in a, in a church family, you can do what God has called you to do and people will blame you for messing it up. I'm not saying that's in this church. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, it's out there somewhere. And it says that innocence can sometimes refer to how we feel about ourselves. Have you ever struggled with not so much the fact that other people were maybe talking about you, but that you felt you had failed, that you had messed up. That's uh, something that I have often struggled with. You know, being a Aggie, you know, that's an issue right there, <laughs> struggling through life, you know. They, oh, you're an Aggie, that explains it, oh, okay. Um, and I've also had brain surgery I've never really told people how much of my brain they took out, but, you know, there's another issue. But sometimes I just feel like God doesn't really smile when he looks at me. That maybe there's hurt in my father's heart for me because I keep failing. We shouldn't. Jesus died for our sins we trust him for that but we have to live a life that shows that without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation God knew our blemishes our dirty spots our spiritual failings long before the beginning of time even so he sent Christ to live a perfect life so that as we die to self and live in him, he can bring about a change in us that will be obvious to others. These three qualities of being blameless and innocent without blemish. That's, again, Paul was writing to the Philippian church. So in essence, this is a message to Miller Heights Church. It's not trying to pick out a person and say, see, you need to do this, you know. But we, as a church family, need to encourage each other and work for peace. And Paul is saying to do these things because they're, in, again, in verse 15, it says, among, in this crooked and twisted generation, and believe, believe me, that has continued on. We still have them. We still have a generation after generation after generation. <clears throat> but 
but among them you will shine as lights in the world. How much or how does a church shine? How do we have an impact on the dark world around us? When you look at your own personal life, was there a time when you were in darkness, where you had no hope? And was there a time when the light of God's promises impacted you in such a way that you wanted to experience that light forever? When you were saved, were you filled with joy? And did you feel a real need to let everybody around you know about this wonderful light? Oh, you were so excited. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1b through 3, Daniel shares a prophecy about the end times. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that, that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Well, while Daniel was talking about stars in the heavens, talking about the eternal shining in eternity, Paul changed the wording a little bit to apply to now. He said, to lights in the world where the Philippians lived. Daniel was speaking of a time in the future. Paul was talking about life in the world of lostness these Christians lived in now. G. Walter Hansen, also in his commentary, stated, the heavenly light of the small community of believers in Philippi was to shine far beyond their own city to illuminate the way home for a warped and crooked generation lost in the darkness of this world. So, he's calling them to shine like lights, bright lights. But he also says in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. We, just as the believers in Philippi, are called to trust totally in the scriptures given to us in God's word, and specifically the life-giving message of the gospel. The world around us offers all kinds of reasons not to believe in God or in Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Holding fast means we cling tight and don't let go. If we do this as a church family, not only believing but living out the word in our daily lives, Others in our community around us will, will, excuse me, will notice, and new souls can be reached for Christ. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. God promises to be with his children until he welcomes them home. He is there to teach us and inspire us to serve sacrificially, and he will be there to welcome us to our eternal home, too. In the beginning of this letter, in verse 6, Paul has stated in chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In verse 17 and 18, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul, it says, lived a life that was poured out. And there's a process that they went through when they would make offerings to God where there was maybe some animal that had been killed and stuff, and then a, a drink offering would be poured on top of it. And it was not to say, yeah, that's a good offering, but look at mine. No, it was just saying, I'm, I'm small, I'm little, but I, I support this too. I, you know, I'm offering myself. So he was offering himself to God and trusting that they would too. And he even said that even if I am pouring myself out, maybe dying soon, for the serving Christ that he did. He said, I am glad and rejoice with you all, and likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Being focused on Christ. So God has called us to be working out our salvation, working in his will, letting his will be worked out through us by him and he's saying that we should shine like lights in the world around us I was thinking about that I started to bring my big camera today but I didn't want to scare off anybody you know you ever hold a camera in front of somebody they'll smile and they you know they look all over the place so I'll use a phone. Everybody's familiar with that, you know. Everybody knows where your camera button is on your phone. And so I'm pushing mine here. And the thing is, while we're here this morning, we're all here to worship God. We, we feel God's presence. Uh, we praise Him in the music and the singing. We praise Him even in our fellowship with others before the service began. So... We want to create a bright picture of our church family to show off to the world around us. And I know just where we want to put it. We want it to be this big picture screen, a billboard down on I-35 so that, you know, people can, in fact, we could probably, <laughs> we could probably have a billboard with a lot of little letters and spell out a whole document in there because when you're stuck on I-35, you have time to read, you know? And I'm sure that a lot of you have had that lately, uh, that experience. <clears throat> Debbie and I were coming back from Temple the other night and forgot that, oh, this is Thursday night. And sure enough, southbound was shut off. So <clears throat> we had a lovely hour of, you know, sharing. Uh, <clears throat> but we are wanting to put this big picture of us that will really impress people. It's common knowledge to experienced photographers that a big screen takes lots of pixels. What are pixels? How many of you have heard of pixels before? Eh, about half of you. Okay. Pixels are the individual little dots 
<clears throat> if you could really zoom in on the picture, you know, you say, oh, that, that person has such a beautiful face and everything. And you zoom up far enough to where you see the little squares, you say, oh, they're not so pretty after all, you know. And uh, there's those little dots, those little, little bitty pieces of, of space there. If you go online, you will find that the pixel is the smallest controllable element in the picture. In other words, an editor can get on a computer and can make changes to that pixel that affects the whole screen. In an average size photo, one pixel can have up to 256 color values. 256 different color values. And on one 4K TV screen, you can have over 8 million pixels. Now that's a lot. It's hard to imagine how many total colors are available there. However, since there are far less than 8 million people attending Miller Heights this morning, uh, I don't think I see 8 million, um, we'll keep it simple. Editing software can change or adjust colors, but it can also adjust the brightness of the pixel. Uh, so, the key to the perfect photo is achieving a stunningly bright light. Remember, Paul told them to be bright lights for their community. So we want a sign down there on I-35 that says, we are a bright church. Wow, that's exciting. So in this church, as part of the big pick, we're not going to say every one of you is like this many million pixels. And this many. We're going to just say you're a pixel. Every one of you in here is one pixel. So I'm trying to give you an easy job. You know, you're just one pixel. All you got to do is be bright, okay? Be bright. That ought to be simple enough, okay? You're, you know, you're a pixel, I'm a pixel, everyone's a pixel. Um, remember, a pixel is a controllable element, so we can control you to a certain extent. It, you can change. And as is promised by Paul in Philippians 2, verse 15, we desire to be lights that shine to all the world. The problem is, when we take a large photograph of our family, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna test this right quick. All right, come on, camera. Okay, uh, all right, church of fam family of Miller Heights. Okay, everybody smile. Oh, yeah, boy, we'll, we'll make a billboard out of this. And, uh, oh, wait a minute. Uh, maybe I don't have the settings right. Let me, let me change a few things. Uh, let's, let's try that again, okay? Everybody, all right, everybody, I'll get farther back here. Okay, everybody, smile. Oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, okay. Oh, man. There's some spots in it, and they're not all bright. Wait a minute. You know, I think that's part of the problem. When we look at our picture, pixel by pixel, we're not all the same brightness, I don't think. Apparently, not all pixels are alike. Did you know you're different from the person next to you? 
they seem to vary greatly in their amount of brightness. Some pixels are fairly bright. Oh boy, I see, you know, I could, I could just see you on the picture screen. Oh man, you know, but some are fairly bright. Some are a little gray, maybe. Some are deep gray. Oh, there's, you know, there's a lot going on there. And believe it or not, there may be a few so dim, there might be a question as to whether they're really even Christians. Looks like it's time to bring in the photo, photo editor of life, right? That'll fix it. They can fix anything. Editors, they get on that, that computer screen and they load up the pictures and they start working on the pixels. They can make everything bright. Because we're a community of Christians, we discover there are two choices. Two choices for photo editors. Okay, first is one photo editor is the worldly professional. He works on the pixels of our members. He does, he does. But he does not have our best interest in mind. In fact, with an evil mindset, he uses the sliders on the screen to dim our faithfulness. And when he finds shadows of our sins that affect us in negative ways, he boosts those so that we're even more aware of our sins. And then he uses sliders on the screen to dim our faithfulness of those who are just having a little bit of light. They're just hanging on by the, the skin of their teeth, some people say, and they lower the values of brightness for them. By the way, this editor likes the lightless ones, the dark ones, so he leaves them alone. Oh, I don't have to worry about you. However, the other choice for an editor, I'm so glad we have another choice, is our loving Father. He desires that we be bright pixels in the community around us, so he begins using the photo software program of life, powered by the Holy Spirit, to work on us, to brighten the faithfulness of those who are faithful. He lessens the shadows of sin that seem to affect us sometimes. And I do know there are times when I have, I've told you earlier, where I have sin in my life and he's lowered the effects of that sin and built the trust in me and faith in me. And he even brings out some hopeful light in the dim areas of our lives for those who are really dim to turn us back around. The lost pixels seem unresponsive, showing no light at all, but the spirit slider keeps working. That spirit doesn't give up. This editor cares for them too. Another amazing thing happens when God is our editor. As he brightens the faithful pixels, the world that the dim and the dark pixels see becomes brighter too. And that may build in them the desire to do the same. That, but that does mean that work is not over. That means the picture of us needs a lot of work. And our heavenly editor continues to work, but he desires to use us as part of the solution. And that is what Paul was calling on the Philippians to do. If God called for them to work out their salvation, he surely wants us to do the same. 
He desires that we not only grow in faith and do those things we're called to do personally, but he also expects us to love our brothers and sisters, shining the light of Christ on them and encouraging them so they will also glow brighter than they ever dreamed. Who do you want to be in charge of editing the pixel of your life? Are you growing in your faith as part of the editing process? How bright do you want to shine? More importantly, how bright does God want you to shine? And how hard are you willing to work so that others will shine too? On this 4th of July evening, millions of people around the world will be looking up into the bright sky. I say around the world. No, they don't have Independence Day, but they like fireworks. So they're going to do it anyway. And uh, it's amazing how relatively little things, those fireworks are fairly small when they shoot them up in the sky. But it makes it seem like it, it makes the whole heavens glow. May we as a church family make the commitment to seek God's will together, and may we allow him, God, to edit us in such a way as to help others grow together and encourage each other. May we as Christian pixels learn to love those around us so the picture of our lives in Christ will light up the heavens for our community and the world. In closing, let me read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. At this point, now we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So, you know, you'll find this in the pew rack in front of you. Um, let's remember that this is a gathering for sinners. None of us are worthy to partake of these elements. However, we 